0: Now, this may sound harsh, but it's true, and it's super important. Our lives may be summarized as soil or dirt. This is our primary goal this morning, is to examine and hopefully cultivate the dirt that is our lives. My name is Ryan Sickinger, and I'm the family pastor here at Faith Church, and I have the privilege of overseeing the children's and student ministries here Um, both of which are an honor. Our lead pastor, Mike McDonald, is visiting his brother up in Denver. So him and his family were able to get away. And so it's my honor to be able to open God's word with you all. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Luke chapter 8. We are going to be in verses 4 through 15 this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are Bibles available in the lobby. Um, Feel free to grab one of those for a service. And if you don't own a Bible, please take that home. That is our gift to you. So to begin this morning, let us read together Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 15. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seeds, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. And some fell into good soil, and it grew and it yielded a hundredfold. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears, let him hear. Verse 9, And when the disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but they have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, there are those who hear, but as they go on their way... They are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, there are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Would you pray with me all? Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you humbled and in awe at what an amazing God you are. You are powerful, You are all-knowing, and you are always present. You're sovereign over all the earth, and we know that your promises are true. As is our practice, we want to pray for another local church in the area, and this morning we want to pray for Hope Church on the east side and Pastor Chad. I pray that as he continues to get established as the lead pastor of that congregation, um, we just receive him well into their body, And, Lord, we pray for his leadership and vision for that church, that it would honor you and that it would be faithful to your word. And, God, we pray that as they open the word as well this morning, um, that you would just bless those people, that you would encourage them, and you'd challenge them in your scriptures. And, Lord, for our congregation as well, we want to pray this morning for any of our members who are traveling, maybe visiting family or friends this holidays. We pray that you'd keep them safe that they have a good time with their family members, and that you'd return them home to us um, safely as they travel. And Jesus, we pray that as we dive into this parable that you gave us in your word, you would illumine to us the secrets of the kingdom of God. You would accomplish your will in us and challenge us to serve and follow you more. Father, I pray that the word that is about to go forth, that you would guard that word, That the devil would not come and take away the word from the hearts of the listeners this morning. That no evil spirit would prevent anyone this morning from believing and being saved. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help the conviction received in our hearts this morning from your word to persevere. That when times of testing comes, we would not fall away but would hold fast. That we would not be swayed by the riches and the pleasures of life in such a way that leads us away from following you. And Holy Spirit, as we hear the word this morning, would you enable us to hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. And Lord, not just this morning as we hear your word, would we daily hear your word and hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, the only name that can save. Amen. This morning, we will be studying and reflecting on this very famous passage. And to do so, we will spend our time in three major points. The farm, the sower and the seed, and finally, the soil. Hopefully after reading the passage, you are a little less offended by me calling you a piece of dirt. And maybe you're starting to see where I'm going with that. But to begin with this passage, we must understand some things about the context of what's going on, and we must transport ourselves to the farm that's being described. This is very illustrative language that's used in this passage, and so mentally, if we want to grasp what he's talking about, we need to understand the context. Or the imagery. I thought about naming this first point introduction or context, but the farm just seemed more appropriate um, as we seek to understand what this has to say to us. So let's read again in verse 4 to get a little idea from the text of what the context was at the giving of this parable. It says, And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to visit him, or came to him, he said in a parable. During Jesus' earthly ministry, many were attracted to hear. Many desired to hear what he had to say. They wanted to know what his teaching was all about. Thus, as Jesus would travel around teaching from town to town, large crowds would gather. We learn from this verse that the giving of this parable, a very large crowd, was present. I think this fact is an important key to understand why he gives the parable that he does. He's addressing a large and diverse crowd. And as we're listening to, this morning, to it this morning, this crowd probably isn't as big, but we certainly are a large and a diverse crowd of people. And so I think this word absolutely applies to us as well. As we seek to understand this parable, we must understand why Jesus taught in parables so much and what he is doing. This passage actually answers this for us, that we, that they were a mystery to the original hearer. He didn't teach in parables to make it easily understandable. He actually says the opposite. Read again with me in verses 9 and 10. It says, and when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you, his disciples, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Here Jesus quotes from the book of Isaiah, declaring that the original hearer would not comprehend the real meaning behind his teachings. Even Jesus' disciples needed him to interpret it for them because it was lost on them. Many people today explain parables as Jesus making his message more easy for the common person to understand. But here we see in God's Word that actually teaches the opposite of that. I've heard many seeker-sensitive pastors try to use this logic to justify them just filling their sermons primarily with stories. But God's word actually teaches the opposite about Jesus' use in parables. When Jesus spoke in parables, he was teaching in such a way that they would miss the greater meaning of his words. It is now on this side of the cross, and having received the full revelation of God's word, that we're able to understand the truths contained within. Let us read again what Jesus says to his disciples in verse 10. He says, To you, It has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. I want to ask you this morning, are you a disciple of Jesus? If so, do you want to marvel with me at the secrets of the kingdom of God? That is what he's teaching us. To read them parables as anything less is to miss them entirely. These aren't mere farming practices or helpful moral teachings. These are eternal truths communicated in common and profound ways. Specifically, the parable that we are in this morning, often called the parable of the sower, which is more appropriately named the parable of the soils, because that's really the emphasis of the passage, is an extremely significant teaching. Three of the four Gospels... Um, writers actually give an account of Jesus teaching this parable in strikingly similar detail. We see in the accounts of Matthew 13, Mark 4, and then Luke 8, where we find ourselves this morning. The reason I picked Luke's account versus the other ones is I previously taught on one of the other ones. So I don't want to do that again. And I just finished reading Luke devotionally, so I picked this one. But they're all good, so read the others as well. I encourage you to do that later. But now as we begin to think through this passage, we must mentally place ourselves on the farm, so to speak. We must smell the animals, visualize the soil, and think about the crop. Have you spent much time on a farm before? Growing up as a city kid, I grew up in northwest Albuquerque, and I didn't really know anything other than city living. So when I moved to rural West Texas for college in a heavily agricultural region, it was a bit of a culture shock for me. And as I got to know farmers and ranchers um, through our local church, I became fascinated by their profession. And it was just so interesting to hear them talk about what they did. One man I knew who helped me volunteer with the youth had something like 100,000 acres in which he farmed corn And it was just fascinating to me to think about farming on that type of scale. What always struck me in talking to him was how hard his labor was and how helpless he often was with the result. Drought or infestation were serious problems he had to concern himself with. Not to mention that even in perfect conditions, ultimately, he had no control over his crop. But he was faithful, and he sowed, and he reaped, and as a result, he made a good living for himself and for his family. In order for us to understand this parable, us city slickers will need to contemplate the realities of the farm this morning. The helplessness, but also faithfulness and diligence needed of a good farmer. The necessity of a sower of good seeds, and the vitality of a good soil to produce an abundant crop. We must think carefully what this all has to do with the kingdom of God and what it means for you and I. In this farming parable given to us by Jesus, we see three prominent components. We see the sower, the seed, and the soil. To begin, let us consider the sower and the seed Now, no doubt the soil is the emphasis of this parable, and we will spend the bulk of our time um, there. But if we fail to consider the sower and the seed, the soil will certainly be lost on us. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the term, a sower is simply someone who plants or sows a seed. So as we consider the sower and seed, let us start with the seed. Have you ever really contemplated how incredible a seed is? It's fascinating when you look at a mighty oak or a beautiful flower that began as this tiny little seed. In this parable, we see this seed being sown in a variety of places and it having a variety of different results. But the seed is the same in all scenarios. The sower doesn't use one seed on one soil and another on a different soil. The seed is constant, and we know that the seed, what the seed is referring to because Jesus tells us. In verse 11, Jesus says the seed is the word of God. The word of God is powerful and incredible. Think back to Genesis with me. In the beginning, as God created everything, how did he do it? He spoke it. It's because of the words of God that we exist and everything we know exists. And the words he spoke and the creation he made were declared good by God. Then in Genesis, as man sinned, God spoke powerful curses over them. But in that speaking of the curses, he also proclaimed the first gospel promises. Throughout the Old Testament, God spoke to the patriarchs, the prophets, the priests, the kings, giving God's people instruction, hope, and comfort. But best of all, God gave his people a written word. God did not reserve his words to the original here, but he preserved and protected them for all people and for all times. And this word that he gave them was filled with promises of a savior who would come and save people from their sins and establish a kingdom. With all that said, listen to God's word in John chapter 1 about the word. This is the seed in this parable, is the word that became flesh. It is Jesus himself and his words. The seed is incredibly important. The seed is not small. It is 66 books and two testaments, all of which point to and proclaim Jesus Christ. It is a weighty seed and one that we must steward and treasure. It is a seed that we must delight in. And it is a seed that we must share and plant. Seeds are not any help if they never interact with the soil. They do not grow in our hands or in our pockets or in ivory towers. No matter what your mom told you, even if you swallow a watermelon seed, it will not grow in your stomach. (laughs) They require a sower and they require soil. This is true of the word of God. Aidan read a passage earlier that many are familiar with, the Great Commission. Now, the emphasis of this passage is often missed. Many people often think that the emphasis is on the going, but it's not. It's on the making of disciples and the baptizing of them and teaching them to obey all that Christ commanded. It is a commission to sow. Listen to the exhortation by the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans in chapter 10. Verse 11 through 17, it says, For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Speaking of Jesus. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then listen to this. It says, How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him? "...whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news! But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ." As believers, we have been entrusted with the oracles of God. We have been given the secrets of the kingdom of God. But we are not to keep them to ourselves. Now, I want to remind us that we are not the original or primary sowers. God gave us the word. And he is the one who has sown it into our hearts and lives if we are following Christ. It is in response to the action and work of God that we are called to engage in the work of sowing. Going back to the Great Commission, what is sandwiched around that call? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Christ on the front end, right? Then on the tail end of the commission, Jesus says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So we ought to sow and to farm And to plant the word of God under the authority of Jesus and with the help of Jesus. This is not something we do on our own or in our own strength. As we think about the sower and the seed in this parable, I want all of us to ask ourselves two questions as we seek to apply these truths. If you take notes, write these down, think about them. The first is, how can you sow that which you don't know? How can you sow that which you don't know? In order for us to share God's word, we must know it. In fact, I think this is probably one of the biggest reasons I hear Christians give for not sharing God's word. They're insecure because they don't know that much about their Bible. And thus, they're afraid to share because they might get a question they don't know the answer to. How can I sow that which I don't know? And to this, I just want to make two points. The first is, begin to know more. Begin to know more by immersing yourself in the Word of God. My previous pastor and I were having lunch as I was preparing to come on staff here, and he was giving me some advice and wisdom before I came over. And one of the things he told me that will always stick with me is he said, you will never impart what you don't possess. You will never impart what you don't possess. Don't think that you can go out sowing God's word and sharing God's word if you don't possess God's word. You can't sow that which you don't know. If we want to sow the word of God, we must possess the word of God. And to possess the word of God, we must read it. We are right on the cusp of 2019. So why don't we use this year to read God's word more than we ever have before? want to issue a challenge to you to get a Bible reading plan this year and stick to it. To help you accomplish this, we set up a table in the back that has some different reading plans for 2019 on them. Two of which are Bible in a year plans. They're just set up a little differently depending on your preference. Another is a New Testament in the year. If maybe you haven't done something like this before, reading the whole Bible in a year is intimidating. That's a little bit easier of a launching point. But go take those Read the word. We cannot sow that which we do not know. I just really want to challenge you guys that this is crucial. If we are going to be doing what we're called to do, if we want to be growing in Christ, we cannot do so detached from the word of God. Another way to grow in God's word in the coming year for families with younger kids is to start participating in the family devotionals that we encourage you guys to use. The book we're using right now, Old Story New, is filled with devotionals that correspond with the lessons that kids hear in children's ministry every Sunday morning. There's five of those a week. What's awesome about that is not only can you... Be sowing, right? You're sharing God's word with your children and your family, but you're also growing in God's word together. That is a great practice. Why don't, if you've never done that before, maybe started but then fell off the wagon, why not use now as the time to do this? So many people talk down on or make fun of New Year's resolutions, and I get it, I understand why. Often the critiques are justified and true. We are fickle people And often don't achieve our goals. But for every 5 or 10 or 20 failed New Year's resolutions, there's one that's accomplished, right? There will be people that finally shed the pounds in 2019. There will be people that finally improve their marriage in 2019. And more importantly, there will be faithful Christians that pick up the Bible and actually read the thing for the first time in 2019. There will be people that sit down as a family and study God's word together for the first time in 2019. We cannot sow that which we don't know. So let's step up to the challenge. Let's be faithful to pursue God and his word. Are you in? The second answer to how can I sow that which I don't know is to sow what you do know. Share what little you do know. Being new in the faith is not a cop-out. To not sharing that which you know. And what's amazing is often the best evangelists are new converts that actually don't know that much about their Bible at all yet. We don't get a a pass just because we don't know this thing perfectly yet. Because guess what? We're not ever going to learn this thing perfectly. So how can you sow that which you don't know? Well, sow what you do know and learn some more so you can keep sowing more. We don't get a pass just because we don't understand this book perfectly. We are to share God's word, what little bit or what expanse that we know. The second question I must ask you in light of the sower and the seed is, how can you know and not sow? How can you know and not sow? Many of you do know a lot about God's word. Many of you do study your Bibles. You're a part of a life group or a women's Bible study or a men's group. You attend student ministry every week. You don't know it all, but you know a lot about the seed. But what are you doing with it? Seeds are meant to be sown. Are you sharing God's word with others? If not, then your knowledge is worthless. God is not impressed if you learn a little bit about him and then keep it to yourself. We must stop living like we have not been given a commission. We are not called to hoard the seed. We are called to sow the seed. How are you doing? Are you sowing? If not, how can you know and not sow? How can you keep the most important information someone needs to yourself? If you knew someone was about to drink bleach, would you not try to stop them and warn them? If you had information that could save their life, wouldn't you share it? You do. It is the word of God, the gospel, the secrets of the kingdom of God, that we may be saved from our sins and made right with God if we place our faith in the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. We have the good news. We have the seed. Are we sowing it? How can you know and not sow? But what if they don't believe? What if they reject it? What if they are upset? What if initially they seem to believe but then fall away? All these questions lead us to our last point and really the emphasis of this parable which is the soil. Let me remind you all um, that I began by calling you all a piece of dirt. And You're like, yeah, I didn't forget that. Jerk. <laughs> but We may not all be sowers. I hope that we are. We may not all be. But unmistakably, everyone in this room will be soil. For all of us are hearing the word of God this morning, and thus we will all have to do something with that seed. Now, this parable gives us four different examples of soil, three of which are examples of poor soil. Think of New Mexico's dirt, okay? And the one is rich soil packed with fertilizer and compost. All of which is illustrating the different ways we respond to the word of God. These first three soils in this parable are the poor soils. Let's again read verses 5 through 7 to see what the initial description of them is. It says, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. Although these soils are not identical, all of them ultimately have the same end result, which is death. The seed does not produce a healthy plant In these soils, let us consider the seed that falls along the path, which are trampled underfoot and devoured by the birds. This soil is hard. Due to constant foot travel, nothing grows along it because it's packed down solid. If you've ever gone for a walk in the forest or desert, you've seen these paths. Where there is constant foot traffic, nothing grows. But what does this mean? If these soils represent people, and the seed is the word of God, of whom does this soil represent? Let us read verse 12 again as Jesus gives us the answer to that. Jesus says, the ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts. So that they may not believe and be saved. This is a hard And heavy word. Have you ever invited someone to church before? Have you had them come, attend, and listen? And you know that the second they walk out that door, they are finished with Jesus. They are cold to the ways of Christ. Even though they hear the message of grace and hope and salvation, they want nothing to do with it. These are living examples of the hard soil. I want to point out that this soil keys us into the spiritual realities at war when when the seed is sown and the word is proclaimed. The devil is actively trying to prevent God's word from going forward. When we engage in the discipline of sowing, we are engaging in war. And thus we must never be flippant or careless in these matters, but approach them wearing the full armor of God spoken of in Ephesians 6. Friends, if this soil describes you this morning, I plead with you to not let your soil be hard. The words of God are the words of life. Hardening yourself will only bring about your ruin. The second soil described is the seed that falls along the rock and ultimately withers because it has no moisture. If you have xeriscaped your yard, you probably know that the only plants that grow in your rocks are weeds, and you don't want those anyways. But the seed of the gospel needs good soil, and it needs water, and it needs roots. Let us read verse 13 again and see what Jesus says about the seed of On the rock. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. This soil is absolutely agonizing because at first it appears to grow a healthy plant. The words described in verse 13 of when they hear the word, they receive it with joy, haunt me. These are those that like Jesus so long as it's comfortable and their life is easy. But as soon as the testing comes, the lost job, the injury or the illness, the painful breakup, prolonged singleness, the death of a loved one, The wayward child, whatever it is, when the testing comes, which it will come, they abandon their faith. Now this leads us to the question that often comes up of can a person lose their salvation? Meaning if someone repents and places their faith in Jesus' death on the cross for their sins and his resurrection from the grave, but later denies him, are they still saved? The theological camps that teach that you can lose your salvation will often use this parable as one of their proof text to do so. Now, I think the clear teaching of Scripture is that we cannot, in fact, lose our salvation. Philippians 1.6 says, He who has begun a good work in you will perfect it to the end, along with a host of other passages that teach that same truth. So I don't think that is at all what he's trying to get at here. But rather, that not all who think they are saved or express their salvation actually are. Some people hear about the grace and the gospel, but are never truly changed by it. They may say, It sounds nice. Oh, that sounds good. I'd like to do that. But they're never truly transformed by it. Many of you have probably heard the saying, Once saved, always saved. Although this is true, I don't think it's the most helpful way to explain the realities of assurance of one's salvation. Rather, the more historic articulation of this doctrine is perseverance of the saints, meaning that if you are truly saved, then your faith will, in fact, persevere. There may be seasons of rebellion or apathy or doubt, but ultimately, in the end, your faith will endure. Jesus taught that we are to judge a tree by its fruits. James says that faith without works is dead. So if you are in here this morning and you have made a profession of faith, say at a VBS or a crusade some 20 years ago, but ever since then you have not followed Christ at all, there's no fruit in your life, there's no evidence that you're following him, this should give you great cause for concern. You may be the rocky soil. Finally, the last of the three poor soils we see Jesus explain is the soil with the thorns that choked out the growth of the seed. In verse 14, we hear Jesus explain that these are those that have turned away from the word by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. To this, I just want to say, welcome to America. Now, don't get me wrong. Every culture experiences this problem, but particularly in our abundant affluence and consumerism, this should be a real warning to us. Jesus warns that some who hear the word choose instead to follow the riches and pleasures of life, and there's no shortage of those for us. I just want to ask you, as we all recover from Christmas, is Jesus and the gospel still sweeter to you than the riches and pleasures of life? Are you more excited about Jesus or that gift card that's burning a hole in your pocket? Similar to the rocky soil, the thorns initially grow a plant, but it's choked out. I think we must all be on guard of this, especially with all the temptations and lust. Around us. The first three soils are a bit of a downer, aren't they? I just want to point something out for those who aren't doing their math that these are the majority of the soils in this parable. Three out of four do not produce a healthy plant. Now, I want to make this point as we consider our job and mission as sowers. As we share the gospel, we cannot and should not expect it to always be received well. We will often be rejected, and sometimes we will think it is received well, only to be disappointed later. But notice that in all these soils, the seed was still sown. The sower was faithful. Along the path was hard, and the rocks and the thorns were present the sower was faithful to share the word of God. Sometimes as Christians, we are guilty of only sharing with those whom we think the message will be well-received. While others whom we perceive to be a little more unreachable, we would rather not bother with them. But friends, in this spiritual reality, the only soil we can truly examine is our own. As we go out as sowers, God does not task us with the job of soil examination and preparation, but of sowing. It is God who prepares the soil, not us. It is only God who can prepare a heart to receive the word of God. It is our jobs and our callings and our duty to be faithful and sharing, no matter the soil. Now, although the first three may have seemed bleak, the fourth soil is beautiful and fruitful. As we wind down in our time together, let us meditate on the good soil in this passage. As we do, I want you to ask a simple but hard question of, is this me? I opened the sermon by saying we're all a pieces of dirt, right? But what kind? Was it the previous soils? Or was it this one? Let us look at the good soil described initially in verse 8. It says, And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears, let him hear. We see that in this good soil, not only does the seed take root and grow, but it is healthy and abundant and multiplies. Let us read what Jesus has to say about the good soil as he's explaining in verse 15. He says, As for that in the good soil, there are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Hearing the word. Now, this has been true of all the soils, right? But it is still necessary The good soil must hear the word of God. The good soil must study the word of God and read the word of God and meditate on the word of God. Again, I want to implore you to be reading your Bibles. I know that's such a simple pastoral thing to say, right? But the reality is most of us aren't doing it. And it's so important if we are to be the good soil, we are to be hearing the word, But then how do they respond when they hear the word? It says that they hold it fast in an honest and good heart. Here we see the soil differs. When it receives the seed, the word of God, it holds it fast. Now when it says fast here, it's not saying fast in the sense of quick, but rather fast in the sense of tight. Think of fastening your grip. This is how the good soil responds to the word of God. It holds it firmly and tightly. The devil cannot snatch it up. The testing in life will not dissuade it. And the cares and riches and pleasures of the world cannot compare to it. This is radical and countercultural. Yet this is beautiful and describes what those whom God has redeemed are to look like. Church, this is our calling, to hold fast to the word of God in an honest and good heart. Not to ride every wave of opinion of our age. Not to be driven by our emotions or derailed by popular culture. But we are to hold fast to God's word in an honest and good heart. This will not come without cost. We cannot expect to be liked or in the mainstream for this. But listen to what our hope is in this, that we will bear fruit with patience. I love the original description in the parable of yielding a hundredfold, right? Such an abundant picture. If we are hearing God's word and holding God's words fast over time with patience, we will see our lives grow in holiness and we will see God's word spread to those around us. We will grow and we will sow. My wife Alexis and I recently bought a home. And it has a pretty big backyard that is entirely filled with dirt and goat heads. It's fair to say it is not good soil. So as we've begun to think about what we will plant and what we want to do back there, we have started to get ready to start a compost pile to help prepare the soil. Now, this is totally new to me, so I've been watching videos and reading articles on composting. And it really is a fascinating process if you've never studied it before. You're mixing brown stuff like twigs and leaves and sawdust with green stuff like vegetable scraps and lawn clippings. And over time, as this breaks down, you're left with this nutrient-rich soil called humus that becomes a great fertilizer to your garden. Now what I found most interesting is this, is that you know your compost soil is ready to be used when it becomes warm to the touch. Now the reason it becomes warm is because of all the microbes that are actually living in this nutrient-rich soil. There's life to the soil, and it gives life to the plants. I think this is a great picture of how the Christian life ought to look as we respond to the word of God. We ought to be full of life, growing in holiness and helping others to grow in the gospel as well. As we exit the farm back to the suburbs of Rio Rancho in northwest Albuquerque, how are you going to respond to God's word? If you take away nothing else from the message today, I pray that it is this, that as Christians we must sow and reap the good news of God's word. As Christians, we must sow and reap the good news of God's word. To put it even simpler, we must grow and we must sow. If you're listening today and you identified more with the poor soils, I don't want you to think that you are stuck because you aren't. God is in the cultivating business. He is in the composting business. In fact, no one is actually born with good soil. God can change your heart. If you're in here today and desire that rich, abundant life of following Christ, place your faith in him today. Follow Jesus today. Jesus came to save sinners, which we all are. What makes the soil good or what makes the good soil distinct is that we receive the gift of the gospel. We receive the word of God. So receive God's word today. They aren't better in and of themselves. They're food scraps and twigs that God has cultivated into rich and healthy soil. Don't wait till 2019. Follow the Lord today. Receive the greatest gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ by placing your faith in him. It will be costly. There will be spiritual warfare and trials and temptations. All those things that face the other soil, we have to deal with. But if you hold fast to Christ, you will bear fruit with patience. If you are a follower of Jesus, let us get to growing and get to sowing. We have a mission. We have a seed. Let us do the work of sowing. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that we would be grieved by the fact that the majority of the soils in this text were not good soils. I pray that you would help us feel the weight of that. God, so often we just coast in life and just assume that everything's okay and that we're okay. But God, I pray that as we think about this message, as we go about the rest of our day, that you would truly help us to examine ourselves. That you would help show us which soil is really true of us. And if it's not the good soil, would you convict us? Would you lead us towards that good soil? Would you help us to hold fast to your gospel? Would you help us to bear fruit with patience? God, I pray for those in here that maybe, as we are talking about reading the Bible or doing family devotions or some of these different things, That maybe some of the people in here were thinking, oh, that's a good idea, I should do that. God, we just pray, knowing how fickle we can be, and we just pray that you'd guard against it. That we would hold fast to the commitments we make, especially as they pertain to following you. God, if we gain a couple pounds next year, that may not be the end of the world, but God, would you let us gain a deeper understanding of you next year? Would you help us to grow In our love of you next year, would you help us to hold fast to your word in this coming year? God, I pray for those in here that are not the good soil. I pray that you would help cultivate them. You would help show them their need for a savior. You would reveal to them the rocks and the thorns and the packed dirt that's in their life. That they wouldn't be content going on with just business as usual. But you would lead them to your son. And God, I just pray that as a church, you would continuing to help us to accomplish these things, that we'd continue to be growing in our love for you, and that as a result, we would share that truth with others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.